Welcome back to the Love Your Story podcast. Today is part two of the suicide panel discussion. If you missed last week's discussion, go back and grab it. These four panelists are a powerhouse. And I must admit, just when I thought I knew what one of them was going to say, they surprised me with a different insight and angle. It's really good stuff. I put together this panel because of my own shock at what is being called the suicide epidemic. It used to be that every once in a while, you'd hear about someone taking their own life, and it it wasn't very often, and it was said in hushed tones, and there was, you know, a deep sadness and disbelief. And now it seems like every week I hear of someone else committing suicide, whether it's someone famous or whether it's a teenager in the high school next door or whether it's a friend or a sister or a someone. It's becoming so common that it's alarming to so many hearts. I'm shocked. I'm filled with questions. What has been the cause of this increase in suicide and why now? And what's going on out there in the battle for our very lives? We all know that space of feeling disconnected, of being frustrated with disappointments when things didn't turn out as we expected. And we've all felt alienated. And it's when those feelings of disconnection and alienation combine with hopelessness that things are never going to change. When we're really focused on our own dark places, that suicide has become too familiar of an option. So let's continue on with this panel discussion. Let's get into the questions of maybe what is the cause of so much hopelessness? Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. Tune in for the rest of our discussion with Cherie Burton, podcaster, author, speaker, and leadership development trainer. Cherie's sister took her own life, and this has affected Cherie's professional work as she helps women find wholeness in all that she does. For her complete introduction, tune in to the episode right before this, part one. Gainalyn Condi, she's a popular motivational speaker and the author of eight faith-based books, and she survives the heartbreaking suicide of her 40-year-old sister. Gainalyn is very well known and does a lot on the speaking circuit, and this has become a something, a topic that she speaks about very often because of how close it has hit to home for her also. Megan Cook, our third panelist, has been a family service therapist since receiving her master's from BYU in 2008. She focuses on treating depression and anxiety, and she's the co-founder of the Emily Effect Foundation, an organization that honors her late sister, Emily, and seeks to raise awareness and improve resources for those experiencing postpartum mood disorders. And you get her whole story in episode one, too. And the last panelist, Seth Adam Smith, He's a best-selling, award-winning author and blogger whose writings have been translated into over 30 languages, and he's been featured in the Huffington Post, in Good Morning America, and Fox News, and CNN, the Today Show, Forbes, and his book, Your Life Isn't For You, was awarded a gold medal for inspirational memoir. 
He survived his own suicide attempt in 2006 and has become an advocate for resources and understanding around depression and suicide prevention. This second episode picks up after our introductions to each of the panel members and frankly, some really good discussion and looking more deeply at their personal stories. So let's hop right in as the panel discussion transitions into questions. Okay, we have spent the better part of an hour already with this, some great stories and some great examples, but let's hop into the questions. And these are simple, so expound on them in the way that feels like it's best for you. The first question is, what do you feel like you know about this topic and what do you feel like you don't know about it? Megan, can we start with you? Yeah, what I know is that it affects everybody, whether that mental illness or getting to this point in our lives affects us directly or whether it affects a family friend or loved one, we are all going to be impacted by it. And because I know that, I know what's really important is that we need to prepare and educate ourselves on these topics. We need to understand mental health and mental wellness and coping skills and resources and all those things. And that's a big thing that we have pushed with the Emily effect is because when you're in crisis mode, that's the time when it, it's hard to know what to do and where to go and how to get help. And we spend so much time talking about our physical health. I think like a good example is, you know, we do things like teaching our kids how to brush their teeth and how to do the basics and things like that. Do we ever, you know, sit and talk to our kids and have conversations about our feelings and about ways that we can take care of them and what anxiety looks like and what to do if you feel that way um, so that that becomes a natural flow of conversation within the walls of our own home. Do we have a conversation when, you know, someone is about to have a baby and especially for the time, for the first time, what does that look like and what are the possible outcomes, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally? I think that that's one of the biggest things moms can struggle with is that we have this view of what motherhood looks like and having, holding this baby and having it be so wonderful and not also talking about the realities and especially in terms of our mental and emotional health. And so one thing I want to emphasize that I know is that having conversations and educating ourselves and asking ourselves, what are we going to do in this situation if this happens? Or what do I need to be doing now to maintain and take care of my mental health? What works for me? What triggers me? All of those types of things so that when we're in those situations, as we all inevitably are, right, whether it's you know, we can talk getting to the point of mental illness or just mental wellness in general. We all have to be maintaining that. It's not something that you take care of if it happens to you. It's something that we prepare for and are constantly aware of and taking care of so that we can maintain mental wellness. So that's Which, something that I, yeah. I know that I want to share with people. And that comes right around to what you're talking about, about an awareness of removing the sense of shame around this topic, because you can't ask those questions. You can't have those conversations. You can't do that research and prepare and, you know, open that up to be prepared if it's a, something that's being hidden and that's something that feels shameful. So that ties together yeah. nicely with what you do. So what don't you know about the topic? What I don't know is we've talked several times today about how complex it is, right? And how there's all these different factors. And what I don't know is where it kind of crosses that line of, you know, someone struggling and has all these factors, genetic and trauma and all of these things to where it kind of evolves into something that's outside of them and not them. Like I know for my sister, Emily, in that moment when she had that panic attack and when she got out of the car, I know deep down in my heart that that 
was not the sister Emily that I knew that she was not consciously in her, her, for lack of a better phrase, right mind making that choice for her. And so I don't know at what point does it it cross over into that and how and and then there's the complication of that looks so different for everybody but I do know that it is a result of these complex issues and a result of illness and that's why I, I'm glad that in our culture we are moving from that shame and that anger for the most part in and understanding this and looking at these situations with compassion and with love and realizing that these issues and struggles that people are dealing with that that lead them to this point are are very complex and it's something that that's outside of themselves and that we need to be compassionate and understanding towards. That's a great question. Seth, I'm gonna direct that same question to you. What do you know about this topic and what do you not know? Oh boy, that is a loaded question. I don't know how helpful certain things are. Like, for instance, my family has a history with mental illness, particularly my dad's side of the family. And I don't know how helpful that information is to me. You know, we talk about genetics and and, and being a factor and, and, and things like that. But when that was an issue that was always brought up, you know, oh, well, Seth, this makes sense that you're struggling with this because, you know, our grandmother struggled with this. And so it's sort of hereditary. And, and I didn't, at the time, you know, when they kept saying that to me, it was, it was different doctors and it was my parents, you know, I thought it was helpful, but I don't think it's helpful to me today because it just felt sort of hopeless. Like, well, my grandmother struggled with this and also, you know, this person and this person, and this person struggled with it. So therefore, I will struggle with it. I don't know if that information is helpful, but I, I do know that when I consciously say, okay, I know that they did struggle with that, but I have resources and opportunities and knowledge that they did not have access to. Therefore, I'm going to choose to move forward as best I can. I don't like feeling trapped in that sense. But I don't know how much, you know, how those things are helpful all the time. You know, if you're relying too much on the family history, I was working with a young man who blamed his mother for his mental illness. And I ended up after three months of working with him and and sort of like as a a mentor, because he was asking me lots of questions. After three months of working with him, I said, are you progressing? Is this helping you? Talking about your mother and how she's struggled with this. Is this, do you feel like this is helping you move forward? And he had to admit, no, this isn't moving. This isn't helping me move forward. So, okay, what perspective can you adopt that's going to help you move forward? And so then we started talking about those things. Oh, that's super interesting point of view. Thank you. What do you know about the topic that you would want others to know? Well, it sort of goes off what I ended with of perspectives. The most helpful thing for me in dealing with my chronic depression, um, because it is chronic and meaning it, it comes back. And sometimes it comes back with a vengeance. Like it is angry. It's a really bad sequel, you know, two, three, four, and five. It just keeps happening Friday the 13th. It's just, it won't stop, you know, and having a perspective, um, has totally completely radically changed how I deal with this. And, And what I mean by that is I, instead of thinking it as strictly a medical condition, instead of thinking it in strictly medical terms, I like to think of it as a hike. If I can frame my struggle as hiking through a canyon or hiking through the wilderness, then it becomes a lot more manageable because 
then I'm not thinking, oh, I should be done with this by now, or I should be out of this, or it shouldn't happen again. No, I'm hiking through like the Grand Canyon. And yeah, it's going to suck. There's going to be a really hard up and over for a very, very long period of time. And I don't quite know when it's going to end. But if I know there's struggle, if I know I'm going to be sweating, if I know I'm going to be fighting and working really hard to get out of it, then okay, I have that mindset I'm going into it. It's going to be a lot more manageable. Doesn't mean it changes the duration of it, but if I'm thinking about it in a different way, if I'm thinking about it as somebody who's a warrior, somebody who's fighting, someone who's going against this obstacle, it changes the dynamic, it changes the mindset. And one of the most helpful articles, it's actually a chapter from a book that I've ever read, gives you really great perspective on life, is from Parker Palmer. I think it's called Let Your Life Speak, and the chapter is called To Everything There Is a Season. And he compares life to seasons. He says, don't think of your life as a perpetual summer. Think of it as shifting seasons. And it happens all the time. It's not just a season of autumn for the next 20 years. Your whole life is just going to be going into all these different seasons all the time. And that's okay. That's part of life. And that, knowing that, having that sort of understanding helped prepare me for any time that I was dealing with depression because then I could say, oh, I'm going through another winter in my life. Okay. I need to act differently. I need to wear different clothing, you know, metaphorically or symbolically. I need to bundle up in a different way. Oh, well, now we're moving into spring. Okay, spring's great, but it's also, you know, like in Utah, it, it never goes away. It's like it, it's, uh, it's uh, muddy and rainy in winter and it just, you know, okay, it's up and down. Okay, I get that, you know, but having a perspective really changes the game. I love that. That's fantastic because perspective is everything. That's the story that we're building around something. And we can either build a story that creates hope and like you say, strength and a way to look at something, or we can build one that helps us, you know, swirl down into the abyss. And that mindset creates that one way or the other. So fantastic. Wow. Starting June 1st, the Love Your Story podcast will transition into a bi-weekly show for the summer. New episodes will come out every other Wednesday at the regular time, rather than every Wednesday, as we prepare for a dynamic fall season. Thanks for tuning in for each value-packed episode. Share the love. Now, back to the show. Okay. Gaina Lynn, what is one thing that you would tell someone who is considering suicide? I would add to what Seth has already said, and it's probably my big why in, in all that I'm trying to do, is that there, hope is possible and hope is a choice for a plan B. It is something I write about and speak about a lot, that hope isn't a feeling. It's choosing the next plan B because plan A didn't work. I mean, even just today, Nothing about today is going the way I thought. Nothing, literally nothing. And I've had to be <laughs> very mindful about pushing away some like major anxieties. I have a book launch tonight and I have other things happening and my child needs me and the dog wasn't, I mean, it, and those aren't, I'm not trying to oversimplify, but for someone that's dealing with depression, anxiety, chronic mental illness, and I too have, my bio says I have experienced healing from a major, major chronic illness. It doesn't mean that bio doesn't say I don't still see symptoms. I've had moments and seasons like Seth was talking about where I've experienced the feeling of healing. 
but I'm still aware of where my vulnerabilities are. I'm still aware of where I need to show up and use my tools in my big toolbox. So I guess for anyone that's listening that is struggling, podcasts like this, interviews, whatever it is out there, I pray a lot that on the days I'm struggling and I too struggle, that I will find new tools or I will call a faith friend or listen to a podcast or um, have a meditation that day or experience some connection with my children or my friends that give me that feeling of hope and feeling that comes from a choice of choosing the next step and the next plan and the next tool. I love everyone on this panel because we are all about creating options and tools and conversations that take away the shame. For my sister, um, those last... Those last few days, the darkness and the shame became too much. And like Seth was saying, we, we tend to isolate. And for those that are feeling, they can't see how they're blessing the world on any level. And the shame becomes too loud. But every single one of us has a unique contribution to make in the world. And each one of us has a gift that we carry within us. So I guess if I could scream that from the rooftops to my own soul at times, I have friends that can't always get through my dark spots, but I've learned through this loss specifically with Meg that I have to keep wrestling with my flaws, my broken parts, my dark times, because the sun does come and there is something still for me to do because I've had the privilege to work with everyone on this panel, but more recently with Seth, we have a podcast that we're doing together called the Reconnect Podcast. And the reason we titled it that is because it's that circling back. It's that trying again. It's that connection didn't work. That tool didn't work. You didn't like that therapist, that you know, supplement, that oil, that massage, whatever it is, didn't work today. But something will. And until then, you're just going to have to trust all of us, right? Because we're the hopefully the voice you're listening to right now today. And I have stacks of letters from people that I call the for the one that heard a podcast or heard me speak or read a book or watched Seth's video or went to Cherie's retreats or met with Megan, right? And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, that's what I needed, that reminder. People need to hear it. What I don't know what the statistics are, 30 times or 50 times or whatever for it to hit that part of their soul that it becomes ingrained. And so that's what I would say is that we need you. You're not extra, so stay in your body. Thank you, Galen. That's wonderful. Cherie. You believe that the root of this problem is disconnection. Can you tell us a little bit about that and then move into how do we solve that? Well, first of all, I just want to honor the other three panelists and their vulnerability and insight and wisdom. It's but it's really moved me today. So I'm White Gainalyn. I have two courses launching. I'm traveling next week. I'm, my, my kids, yeah, I just got a call from the school. I had to mute myself. So things are happening in and around me. 
And I think what I've learned, and I hope I'm answering your question, but what I'm feeling into right now is, I think what I'm learning, it's not that it gets easier, it's that you get more powerful. It's not that it gets easier, it's just that you get more clear or more focused or as Gainalyn stated, something shows up on your path. We don't always have to track it down. And that's where the hopelessness comes. The hopelessness comes from, I've tried everything, I've done everything, and it's like, look again. And that would be my advice. Look again. Always look again. When someone is acutely suffering, it's as though a veil has, of darkness has been placed over their eyes, ears, all the sensory pathways. What my research has focused on is opening the sensory pathways. The senses have become dulled. We can't hear. We don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. You could look at it that way. Or simply the disconnection that I referenced is not a disconnection necessarily from a community or from resources or from sociality. It's from ourselves. And for me, the mantra is stop everything. Breathe. Breath is the most healing to our sensory pathways than literally anything else. It's alive. It's the breath of life. It gives life. It's a life giver. It's almost antithetical anxiety they can't coexist so stop breathe and then receive i believe the spirit rides on the breath i don't i'm not the only one that believes that i i'm almost done with a 200 hour yoga teacher training certification that i'm doing with my daughter and i'm learning so much about the science of breath what these yogis knew you know millennia ago even predating the time of christ but this is so easy that we miss the mark. Breath is free, it's immediately accessible. It's built right in, we don't have to search it out. And I think the hopelessness is born of, I'm not getting it, I'm too dense, all these resources don't work. And where the empowerment and the hope comes in is, what is riding on the breath and what is breathing you is your answer. So entrainment around, taking a time out at the soul level, connecting in, closing their eyes and teaching them, and I'm including myself in this right now, to stop, breathe and receive. Receive what? Receive light. Receive just a little tiny spark of clarity for that moment, for the right now, for whatever is needed because you can take all the stuff you've read, all your teachers out there, all your ecclesiastical leaders, all your family and loved ones and friends and spouse and all these people around you who just, and set your depiction of your brother over your hospital bed, I was literally crying. We have so many people who want the best for us and love us, but they cannot give us what we need. Your religious community can't give you what you need. Your spouse can't give it to you. Your caregivers can't give it to you. Your doctor, your practitioner, your parents, your best friend in the world, they may think you walk on water, but they cannot give you exactly what you need. The only thing that can bring you what you need is your connection to the divine. So that disconnection and divine, and however, I don't know, you're very, you probably have a varied audience, Lori, but I'm not just talking about the divine, God, 
Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, Spirit. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about your divine soul, your voice, your whisperings. People get disconnected from, they don't know what they want anymore. They don't know who's in the driver's seat. They don't know, you know, what to make sense of their surroundings because they've disconnected from their souls. And to me, that is the saddest thing. So healing happens in moments. It doesn't happen as an event. And Gainalyn is just, what she shared is really perfect around like, this is what's happening right now. You know, by the time this airs, you know, it'll be different, right? And for me too, and for all of us. So all we ever have is right now. And all we ever have is the breath. And all we ever have is our, the scriptures say that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. That soundness is an outgrowth of our ability to connect and go within And so breath, awareness, to me, that's it. And the last thing I would say, um, and I'm really, really passionate about this, and I've heard all three of the panelists speak to this, especially Seth, our genetics don't define us and neither do our surroundings. So it's not nature or nurture. It's what we choose. They influence us greatly. But one of the most, I guess, and I'll just share this, in my sister's suicide letter. So this is a mother who had five children ranging in age from 2 to 12 at the time of her death. She was very active in her community. Her husband, super present, all kinds of treatment programs, everything, everything, everything he could do and everything we could do. And as a 34-year-old, she wrote, she went to a Ramada Inn in Salt Lake City And we pretty much think that it was more of an act of impulsivity as opposed to something pre-calculated, just given her personality. And she would have left more. I mean, she would have given this more thought in terms of letters and whatever. That was just her nature. But she scribbled, she literally scribbled a note on the Ramada Inn stationery. She said, I can be a better guardian angel than I can be a mother to these kids. And what we didn't know when she died, because by all outward appearances, she was very religious, very community-minded. She wasn't one to isolate, actually. And we found in her journals that she had stopped praying two years, for two years prior to her death. She did not know her worth, and she did not know her place with the divine. She did not feel worthy. She felt like she was uh, missing the, the, some protocol that was out there that she was just too dense to figure out. All she saw were the happy faces in the community around her and it could not have been more of a polar contrast to how she was feeling. And to think of her children having to visit her in a state mental hospital the rest of their, of their lives and hers was unbearable to her because that she felt like that would have been her next step. And when we put all of my family history together and all of like my children have struggled with depression and anxiety and at least the older kids, one thing that we get really real about is, you know, just because you guys have inherited some of this stuff, just because it might be there, just because it might have been passed down. And I love what's said about this. Like, it doesn't have to hold you hostage. It doesn't have to define you. You're more than that. Your soul is so expansive. You might have depression in you, but you're not actually depressed. It's just in you. You're not a depressed person, I should say. You're not an addict. You're not 
anxiety, you know, like those are just labels and things that has attached to our physicality. We are expansive souls. And so letting people know that that connection can get relinked. You can link back in through the breath, through awareness, through stillness, and through surrounding yourselves with people who affirm your worth. And to me, that takes a lot of training and time, but at the same time, it's so simple. It's simple in theory, but difficult in application in the sense that most people need to be continuously reminded, and I put myself in this category, continuously reminded to do that. Because of our natures, we we avoid self-care. We just do, it's just part of our natures. You guys are just powerhouses. All these ideas that are coming up are often unexpected. You'll say something that's completely fresh and contrary to what I'm thinking you're going to say. This is really good stuff. Lori, can I add one thought to what Shree and I think Seth has said? Because I've been so grateful this conversation has... I've given lots of interviews. I mean, I, I have written, I have spoken about this topic. I have done countless podcasts and TV and radio. And I have really appreciated the expanse of this conversation. And I'm just so grateful you as the host was, you were willing to set up this environment so that we could talk about it on these layers. But I haven't shared publicly that the first time my sister was hospitalized, my mom was also and put in the same hospital. And I was in college and I literally got a phone call from her saying, and the doctors think you should come home for this summer and be with us here at this treatment center. And I literally in that moment snapped and thought, I will be running in the opposite direction. And not to take away from the path that they, the therapist they had found and the treatment center they were in, but I could feel in my gut that I had to break chains and patterns. And so I love that thought of your family history, your family dynamics. I am a big believer on my God is a mighty God and he can move mountains. He can move the mountains of tradition, of dysfunction, of disorder and abuse in our families. If we are willing to maybe take the path that hasn't been taken in a family, and that's sometimes really hard. And so I just wanted to add that one more like exclamation point on what I think has already been said. And I think everyone on the panel has tried to take their specific personal story and add a conversation to the world, like through the MLA effect. I think it's had such a powerful, no pun intended, effect on the world in just a very short time. And Sheree and I have had our lives intertwined in such weird, that's another whole podcast, but it's a reminder to me again today that the Lord is, in my definition, my God, is mindful of weaving us through. And sometimes like he did to Abraham, he asked Abraham to walk back up the mountain with his own child and do the exact trauma that his own dysfunctional father had tried to do to him. And as Seth was so beautifully saying, that seems totally counterintuitive. Why would we be asked, why would a loving God ask you to walk through a trauma to become free of it? And we know from the story of Abraham and Isaac that he wasn't asked to sacrifice, he was given lamb in the thicket, so to speak. And so I just think it's empowering to say that we will maybe be the chain breaker in our families. If you're listening to this podcast, as Megan said, this topic affects everyone. I hope people listen to this that don't think they have anything in common with the subject of suicide because they love someone, they struggle themselves, or they've lost someone. That's everyone on the planet.
Thank you so much. What a great addition. We're going to end this panel with, Seth, I watched an interview that you did earlier, and you said that people need to notice a world outside themselves. If you can just conclude this panel by telling us what that means. Yeah, there's a quote by G.K. Chesterton. I think I'm going to slaughter it because I don't have it on hand. But essentially, he says, he talks about how beautiful the world is once you realize that there are people out there who need you. He says something like, break free of your own world and see the other people outside who need you. And for me, the greatest part of recovery or the greatest part of healing was getting involved in a program where there were other people who are struggling. And I was, I think I was 22 at the time. I was on the road to recovery from my suicide attempt and, and it was about two years away from that. And I was working with, with youth who were struggling with addiction. And I'll tell you what, working with those kids and finding this world outside of myself and seeing their needs and responding to them, that was the most beautiful experience and probably some of my happiest memories. I don't think I've smiled or I've laughed or I've cried, but the good kind of cry, you know, as much as I did during that time when I was working with kids who needed and appreciated the help that I was offering. And I I would recommend that to anybody. If you are looking for hope, I would invite you to become that hope for somebody else, right? Ezekiel is a, is a Native American man I've, I've had the blessing to work with. His name is Ezekiel Sanchez, and he always says in his prayers, he says, may we be the answer to someone else's prayer. If you're looking for hope, if you're looking for a reason, if you're looking for a purpose, know that there is one, and that someone out there is praying for you, and what you might think is a simple act of service is going to be a genuine miracle for them. And you can do that. You can provide that miracle. Your life by itself is a miracle. I just encourage you to go out there and keep serving other people because we need you. Thank you for tuning in to this intense and meaningful discussion on the topic of the epidemic of suicide. We've talked about connecting with self, about seeing other people beyond ourselves, about healing about mental illness, about darkness versus light, and the idea of mental warfare between good and evil, and so much more. I invite you to share this podcast. I invite you to be the hope for someone else. I invite you to connect with your own wholeness and to remember that you are a miracle and we each need each other. I invite you to reach out for tools when you are in need to help remove the shame around the topic of suicide so that we can have conversations, be open, find solutions. I invite you to follow or connect with any of these panel members through their books and workshops, blogs, therapy sessions, or in any way that you need to. Their contact information will be in the show notes and www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. The human soul is precious. Every single one. Stay in the battle finding those wonderful moments of joy and light and fighting through the moments of darkness where we are up against our dragons. Because people, there is always hope. There are always good things to come. And if we leave early, if we leave the battle, if we let the darkness overtake us, we won't ever know those things. Like Seth mentioned, 
had he not survived his suicide attempt, he would never have had his daughter. He would have never looked into her eyes and saw that light and realized the infinite worth of each soul. He wouldn't have had those experiences. Don't forget that loveyourstorypodcast.com is a resource. You can buy my book, Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day. You can listen to all 130 plus podcast episodes, and they're on all types of topics related to almost anything that has to do with creating your best life story on purpose. Share them, listen to them, use the website as a resource for buying your t-shirts, getting the books, listening to the podcast, signing up for story consulting, lots of good things there. Have a great week, people. I know this is a heavy topic. I appreciate you being here, but some really incredible insights. Use this podcast as a tool and share it with somebody you think that might need it.